Welcome to the tangent episode of the Medici podcast on Dante. You don't need to listen to this to follow the main narrative, although it might add some context and hopefully put some flavor for the super fans of my little podcast out there. Yes, both of you. You probably already know Dante's last name was Alighieri, but it wasn't a proper surname. It was just the name of his father, Alighiero. We know his mother was named Bella, but unfortunately, like a lot of women from this period who didn't come from royalty or the high aristocracy or weren't saints and mystics, we know nothing more about her. Apparently, Dante was descended from an old, noble Florentine family, the Elise, but his father had fallen down the social ranks and worked as a lowly government notary. Boccaccio, who wrote the first biography of Dante and actually met people who knew Dante in life, recorded the claim that he was related to a prominent noble family in Rome the Frangipani, who themselves claimed to be descendants of the Anicii, one of the great families of the Roman Republic. Modern historians haven't been able to verify this one way or the other, as far as I can tell. And like how Americans in the South like to claim Cherokee ancestry, or English people love any chance to claim to trace their lineage back to the Norman Conquest, it's the sort of thing that would probably have been said about any famous Italian from the era. By the time he was 18, both of Dante's parents had passed away. He may not have been that broken up about his father's death, at least. In his biography of Dante, Paget Toynbee remarks, quote, The only contemporary references to Alighiero occur in a poetical and not very edifying correspondence between Dante and his friend Forese Donati, from whose expressions it is difficult to avoid the conclusion that Dante's father was either a personal coward or of little moral worth. Harsh. One other thing we know about Dante's childhood is that he was about nine years old when he met the real love of his life, Beatrice Portinari. In Dante's own book, Vita Nuova, he could still recall the moment he saw her. Her dress on that day was of a most noble color, a subdued and goodly crimson, girdled and adorned in such sort as best suited her very tender age. Much like Petrarch and his great platonic love, Laura de Noves, who might possibly have been an ancestor of the infamous Marquis de Sade. I always have to mention that. Dante never actually approached Beatrice. Thankfully, Dante wasn't born in the 21st century, where this kind of thing would have likely driven him to develop some really disturbing politics. Instead, he was inspired to write poetry, including a sonnet inspired by a run-in, where Beatrice apparently waved at or saluted him from afar. Less positive was their other brief run-in, when Dante attended her wedding reception, 
Already upset that his precious Beatrice was marrying another man, he felt even worse when he thought Beatrice and her friends were mocking him as they whispered to each other and looked in his direction. Not too long after, Beatrice died in June of 1290, at just the age of 24. Even though they never truly met, Dante never got over his grief. In fact, his writing could be interpreted as suggesting that his feelings over Beatrice were at least part of the reason he once contemplated suicide. At the very least, he did write, quote, I remained so overwhelmed with grief that no comfort availed me. But Dante did eventually get married. His bride was Gemma Donati, who came from a distinguished Guelph family. Yet it wasn't exactly a happy marriage. Dante never alludes to her in his writing, much less mentions her directly. And when he went into his political exile, she did not join him. But they must have tolerated each other to some degree since they did have four children, two daughters and two sons. Their son Pietro became a lawyer and wrote a commentary on his father's divine comedy. Another son, Jacopo, joined the church and dabbled in poetry, although not nearly to the extent of his father. One daughter, who was actually named Beatrice after his lost love, presumably, went on to become a nun. About the other daughter, Antonia, almost nothing is known. Based on his conversations with Dante's friends, Boccaccio left behind a vivid description that reads, Our poet was of middle height, and after he had reached mature years, he walked with somewhat of a stoop. His gait was grave and sedate, and he was ever clothed in most seemly garments, his dress suited to the ripeness of his years. His face was long, his nose aquiline, his eyes rather large than small, his jaws heavy, with the underlip projecting beyond the upper. His complexion was dark, and his hair and beard thick, black, and crisp, and his countenance always sad and thoughtful. No man was more wakeful than he, whether in his studies or in anything which gave him anxious thought, to such an extent that many a time his household and his wife used to be vexed at it, until, growing accustomed to his ways, they came to take no notice of it. Also, Dante might have had what we would diagnose nowadays as social anxiety. He preferred being alone, and would rarely talk unless someone addressed him first. As much as he might have liked to dedicate himself to just poetry, Dante did not avoid a life in politics and war. He actually fought in a war between Florence and the city of Arezzo. In politics, he advocated for the ordinances of justice, even though he suggested in his own writing that he thought the reforms were insufficient. Also, he served as an ambassador for Florence. Then, in 1300, he was elected as a prior in the Signora. While for some people this would be the pinnacle of their lives in public service, Leonardo Bruni quoted Dante as saying, All my woes and all my misfortunes had their origin and commencement with my unlucky election to the priorate. 
As noted in the main narrative, by this point in Florentine history, the Ghibellines were pretty much a spent force in Florentine politics. But a vicious conflict had broken out between two new factions, the Black Wells and the White Wells. Don't worry, I won't quiz you. Instead, we'll have a little refresher. The Black Wells promoted traditional Guelph support for the political interests of the papacy, while the White Guelphs wanted a Florence totally independent from papal influence. As shown in his treatise on monarchy, Dante still believed that the heirs of the Roman emperors, whom he believed were the Holy Roman emperors, had a claim on being the rulers of all Christendom. Given that the family of his wife Gemma were a key Black Guelph family, this was probably a pretty big part of their family tensions. When the Signora decided to end the civil strife by exiling the most outspoken members of both factions, Dante reluctantly voted in favor of the mass banishment. One of those exiled was a personal friend of his, Guido Cavalcanti. While in exile, Guido caught malaria and died shortly after he was allowed to return to the city. Dante never got over his guilt. Things got even worse when, on January 27, 1302, the ascendant Blackwell faction got its revenge by putting Dante on trial through trumped-up charges of fraud and corruption and getting him exiled. Dante describes his horror at this turn of events in his treatise, The Banquet. Since it was the pleasure of the citizens of the fairest and most renowned daughter of Rome, Florence, to cast me out from her most sweet bosom, where I was born and brought up to the climax of my life, and where I long with all of my heart to repose my wearied spirit and end the days allotted to me, wandering as a stranger through almost every region to which our language reaches, I have gone about as a beggar, showing against my will the wound of fortune, which is often blamed unjustly on the one who is stricken. Truly I have been as a ship without sails and without rudder, driven to various harbors and shores by the parching wind which blows from pinching poverty. And I have appeared vile in the eyes of many, who, perhaps from some report to me, had imagined me in a different guise. What exactly happened to Dante during his exile, and when, are unclear. We do know first he ended up in Verona, where he was put under the protection of the Signore, Bartolomeo della Scala. Much less clear is where he went next, and why. We do have a letter from this period that he wrote to the government of Florence, that speaks out in favor of the Holy Roman Emperor. You who transgress every law of God and man, and whom the insatiable maw of avarice urges headlong into every crime, does not the dread of the second death haunt you, seeing that you first and you alone, refusing the yoke of liberty, have set yourselves against the glory of the Roman Emperor, the King of the Earth, and the Servant of God? The hope which you vainly cherish in your madness will not be furthered by this rebellion of yours, but by your resistance, the just wrath of the king at his coming, 
will be more inflamed against you. Dante also wrote to his would-be overlord, Emperor Heinrich VII, urging him to crush the Florentines. This did not happen, and in fact the emperor soon died. Instead of going to return to Florence under the auspices of the Holy Roman Emperor, by 1317 or 1318, Dante wound up in Ravenna, where his sons and his daughter Beatrice joined him, but tellingly his wife remained in Florence. It was in Ravenna that Dante finished what he did not know would be his masterpiece, The Divine Comedy. The Divine Comedy was a hit in its own time, and Dante started to become famous across Italy and beyond. His home in Ravenna was even frequently visited by scholars and poets. A university professor and poet in Bologna offered him a laurel crown, a symbol of respect for poets and scholars, dating back to ancient Greece. But Dante politely declined, in the form of, of course, a poem in Latin, saying he would only agree to receive a laurel crown if it was offered by his home city of Florence. One day, Dante was sent as an ambassador from Ravenna to Venice to try to stop a war breaking out over an incident where some Venetian sailors were accidentally killed. During the trip, because the Venetians spitefully refused to let the ambassadors come to Venice by sea and instead forced them to travel to Swampland, Dante caught malaria. He was forced to turn back to Ravenna where he died on September 14, 1321. The government of Ravenna buried him with full honors at a Franciscan monastery, which would later become known as the Basilica de San Francesco. Eventually, his remains would be housed in its own monument, just outside the main grounds of the monastery. Even in death, Dante would never return to Florence, but not from a lack of trying by the Florentines. Feeling a little regret over the whole exiling the most famous writer to ever come out of the city for petty political reasons thing, they tried to get his remains returned to the city numerous times. They very nearly succeeded in 1519 during the reign of the Medici Pope Leo X. But the Franciscan monks hid Dante's coffin in a hole. I really don't know if Dante would have been horrified that his remains never got to rest on his native soil, or if he would have been pleased out of spite. But at least Dante did do one favor for Florence. But at least Dante did one favor for Florence in the end. He made the Florentine dialect the basis for the language we today call Italian in the language you would almost definitely learn if you pick up a teach-yourself-Italian book or start the Italian course on Duolingo. On top of the influence of Florentine diplomats, bankers, and merchants who were so prolific throughout Italy, Dante's Divine Comedy was so widely read and studied, the form of Italian he used became the standard written form of the language even while other Italians continued speaking in their own dialects. Once the Italian nation-state was established in the 19th century, 
even though many of those dialects continue to exist and, of course, still exist to this day. This version of Florentine Italian became officially, well, lingua italiana, the Italian language. But it should be mentioned that because of how chaotic language is, the modern Florentine dialect actually does have some differences from standard Italian, especially in how consonants are pronounced. Regardless, this is how Dante, a political exile, a man trapped in an unhappy marriage, and someone who was scarred by unrequited love, wound up as the father of the Italian language, and Il Sommo Poeta, the Supreme Poet.